You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Probably go ahead and open your Bibles again over to James chapter 3. We're going to begin there again today. So I've kind of, I've had, uh, rather than so much of a topic, I talked to those of you who were here last week, uh, I've had three passages that have been on my heart for a while, and so I'm just kind of working through those. We got through a portion of two of those uh, this last week, and I'm just going to pick up. I'm going to do some review uh, if you weren't here last week, we're, we're definitely not going to go back through everything we covered last week, so I would encourage you to please get the podcast or pick up one of the CDs are free out there, pick up one of those, uh, go to our website, watch the YouTube video, whatever, just encourage you to, to get that information. But uh, basically, from those three passages, we are talking about steering your course or steering your course rightly. And so, so that means really taking charge of the direction of your life. And I think I said to you last week that this is a topic that I seem to come back to um, frequently from various different angles. And, and I think part of that is because I believe there's, uh, there's just a huge kind of misunderstanding of, partly it's of God's nature actually, and partly it's of the way that he has desired to work with us as people. And there are still a lot of believers out there that have what I consider to be a very passive theology um, toward the Lord where I believe that, um, first of all, I, I, think, I think some of them believe that trusting God, that giving him your life and then walking with God means that we just sort of passively float through life and that everything that happens in one way or another, we're supposed to look at everything that comes along as God's will for our life. And, and our role is just to submit, to basically, and accept everything that comes along, good or bad, you know. And um, I, I don't see that in the scripture at all. I see such a dividing line in the scripture of Jesus saying, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy from your life. Uh, there, we, we can point to many things that occur in life that are not God's will. Not God's will. The clearest picture we have of God's will is Jesus Christ himself and what he died to give us. That is God's will for our life. So there are lots of things that are contrary to that. The scripture clearly says that it's God's will that nobody should perish, that everybody should come to know the Lord Jesus. But we know that's not happening. So, so we know from a number of things that the Lord just did not choose to deal with us and with planet Earth that way. He didn't choose to just micromanage everything that happens in our lives. So taking this real passive approach where, where we just sort of drift along and, and wait for the whole thing to be over and, and try to celebrate God along the way, I don't believe that's what God has for us at all. And a lot of believers live that way. And in my opinion, they miss a tremendous amount of God's will for their life. A lot of people would say, well, if, and you hear this, and I know you've heard it, you may have said it, but I'm hoping today maybe you'll change your mind about it. 
a lot of people say, if it's God's will, it'll happen. And if it's not, it won't. You know, it's just that simple. I've got something, I've got a desire in my life. If it's God's will, it'll just happen. That's just not true. And you really open yourself up to miss a lot of what God has for you. I am not denying God's ability to bring his will to pass fully in, in everybody's life. Of course he could do that, but he hasn't chosen to, chosen to work with us that way. He just hasn't. So, so there's, a, there's a partnership with him. We are to be submitted to and seeking after his will. But I, I, and some people seem to really feel that it's kind of irreverent to think that God's not micromanaging every part of our life. To, and it's, it's not. It's the way he's chosen. He wants us to seek him. And he wants us to discover him and discover what his will is and then, and then pursue it. And there are so many uh, scriptures. I just want to give you just a, a few uh, this morning that just came up in my heart here before we even move in to the rest of this. Jesus said this uh, over in Matthew chapter 11, he said, from the moment, I'm, I'm getting this, uh, this is from the Passion Translation, from the moment John the Baptist stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom has been bursting forth or forcefully advancing, advancing forthfully, bursting forth. Ever since John the Baptist stepped on the scene, heaven's kingdom has been bursting forth and passionate people have taken hold of its power passionate people have taken hold of its power. So there's some passion involved in grabbing hold of what God has provided. That's what, that's what Jesus is saying there. Jesus talked to us about, he said there's a cost to being his disciple. And he doesn't mean a cost uh, in terms of we have to earn salvation. We know that salvation doesn't come that way. It's a free gift. He doesn't mean a cost in that way, but any quality relationship or partnership is going to require something of us. It's going to require effort on our part. We're going to have to, anytime, and, and you know, Annie just came up and prayed for couples, marriage is that way. If you are not willing to lay down some of your agenda and your stuff and desires for that other person so that things can go well for them. If you're not both willing to do that, you're going to have a hard time with your marriage. That's what marriage is an expression of the love between Christ and his church. It's an expression of that relationship where the Lord, the Lord laid down his life for us so that we could have a better life for to put it really weakly, so that we could have life, period, and have abundant life and zoe life, eternal life, life as God has it. He laid down his life. And then we're called into that relationship also to lay down parts of us and take up parts of him. So it's, it costs us something. It's not just drifting through life. It, there is a there, there is transformation. There is it, this requires strong cooperation on our part. Jesus also said, he said, you know, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And so that idea, he, he didn't come to cut people's heads off. He came to that sword represents, there is a dividing line. There is a difference between living a life of unbelief or just living your own life or, or whatever 
and living as a believer. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so there's something there for us to pursue and press into. It's given to us by grace, but we still have to take hold of it. I said this last week that I see this as an aggressive harmony with God's will in our life. It's harmony and harmony feels, that word feels like, ah, you know, nice and peaceful, but it's an aggressive harmony. We're taking hold of something. And I I quoted this verse to you last week in Philippians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And on down, he says, forgetting what's behind, straining towards what's ahead, straining toward what's ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenly in Christ Jesus. So that term press on means to pursue something with great passion. It means to chase it down, tackle it, and make it your own. It's not a passive picture that, okay, now I gave my life to Jesus and so everything's just going to fall into place and if it's God's will, it'll just happen. It's not that picture. It's that Christ took hold of us for something, for a reason, for a purpose, and that purpose is eternal life. And that purpose is, and that's not just heaven, that's eternal life now. We are part of his church. We are loosed upon this earth to bring to, to in our own individual lives, to look around in our lives and to see things that are not lining up with what Jesus Christ did at that cross and what he liberated people from and came to give people and to bring that heavenly aspect, that, that uh, what goes on in God's kingdom, healing instead of sickness, deliverance instead of bondage, freedom, great marriages, prosperity instead of Uh, poverty, those kinds of things to see here's what's happening on this level and here's what Jesus came to give and to be the ones who grab hold and release that stuff on earth. And so, I mean, this is a purposeful life and it requires us to steer our course. Paul said here, I press on to take hold. Again, it means to apprehend. It means to take captive. It's a very, this, this is very aggressive terminology. This is not passive, sit on the sidelines, uh, Christianity. And the prize to which we are called, it's, it's not just going to heaven at the end of your life. It's kingdom life here and now. It's intimacy and partnership with God and the fulfillment of his will and his desire for you here on this earth. So I say all that just to say, I come back to this subject frequently because it grieves my heart to... Sometimes we just make poor decisions and then, you know, thank God people around to help people pick up the pieces, you know, uh, when those poor decisions don't work out. And that's hard to watch, especially on the front end when you see people and try to counsel them and help them to make a better decision on the front end and and they're not going to do it. So then, you know, somewhere up the line, we're going to be picking up these pieces. That's hard. But it grieves my heart maybe even more than that to see people have that passive drifting mentality about their relationship with God and not pursuing grabbing hold of what he has. He has a tremendous, amazing, I don't have the words, I do not have the words to present to you everything that God has for you. But he wants to reveal himself to you day in and day out, over and over, deeper and deeper, and take you into a tremendous plan for your life. And I just, that requires us to make decisions. 
and to in accordance with and in agreement with God and what he's speaking to you and what he's doing in your life to make decisions and to set your course and to set yourself in line. Does that make sense to you? All right. So uh, last week, I'm just going to touch on a couple of these scriptures. We looked here in James uh, chapter three and what you have on your screen is uh, James chapter three, verse two. And this is from the New Living Translation. And he, he says there, indeed, we all make mistakes. And he says, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. That means mature and complete. And we could also control ourselves in every other way. So James starts to point to our tongues. And uh, I cannot, I don't believe we can separate the idea of what is coming out of our mouths from what is in abundance in our hearts. Jesus taught us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, you can fake it for a while, but, it's, but at some point, out of the abundance of your heart, under pressure, we went through a number of things last week, under pressure, whatever, that at different times, what is in your heart in abundance, that's going to come out your mouth. And, and he says, you know, if we could control our tongues, we could control every other aspect of our lives. The person that's able to tame or control their tongue slash heart is how I've put it down. You've got to deal with the heart if you're going to deal with your mouth, okay, is able to keep their whole life on course. He's essentially saying this is the hardest thing for us to control. And, and if we're honest, every one of us have that pressure to say things, you know, that at times we shouldn't say, you know, it's, it's not something God wants us to say. It's not, and, and James writes that basically he's saying this is one of the highest aspects of maturity, one of the highest evidences of Christian maturity is the ability to deal with what's going into our heart, what we allow to build up in our heart, what our hearts are containing, and so in that way to control what's going out of our life, okay? And, and so these other verses go along with that. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue. They who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or for life. So the words that are overflowing out of our heart, they both, they reflect what is going on in our heart. Your words are a great indicator of what's going on in your heart. Just listen to yourself or let somebody else listen to you and be honest with you uh, sometimes. But it indicates what's going on in our in our hearts, and that indicates what's most valued to us, what we're giving the most attention to, what we're spending time thinking about, all that kind of thing. Your fears will come out of your mouth, your faith will come out of your mouth, your love will come out of your mouth, your anger will come out of your mouth, all those kinds of things will come out of your mouth. It's just a great reflection and indicator of what is actually going on in your heart. It's, it's harder to deceive ourselves if we listen to ourselves, you know, uh, from time to time. And even if we think about the things that we're having to resist coming out of our mouth. Some of us learn to not say everything, but the thought still comes up and I want to say it. Well, then I still need to deal with it. Okay. I've never had that experience, but I'm sure some unrighteous person in here has. So another verse I just want to throw in this week. I'm just going to expand on a few of the things we talked about last week. Psalm 34, verses 12 and 13. This is really interesting. There's a lot in this, but I'm just going to bring out this one point. Psalm 34, verses 12 and 13. It, it says, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? 
Okay. Anybody that doesn't say yes to that needs some help. Okay. Does anyone want to live a life that's long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue, two things, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Okay. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. The word evil there is a very broad word for evil. It means all kinds of evil. So in other words, don't involve yourself in conversations that are contrary to God's will. Don't listen to a lot of stuff that's contrary to God's will. Uh, don't let that stuff flow out of your mouth. Just keep your heart slash mouth, heart slash tongue out of the realm of evil, okay? And then, but this is really interesting. I love this. He says, and your lips from speaking lies. Well, okay, we want to tell the truth. It's always been interesting to me that in, I think it's Colossians chapter 3, Paul talking to the church, he comes along and he says, okay, now you're born again. Your new life is hidden in Christ. Stop lying to each other. I thought, well, that's pretty basic, you know? Stop lying to each other. Okay, I guess we could try that, you know? Uh, But anyway, this says, you know, keep your lips from speaking lies. Or some of your translations say, keep your lips from guile. And that word means keep yourself from baiting other people with your words. From baiting other people. From putting something out there with your words that you know is just going to press their buttons and draw them in to an argument. That's what he's talking about. Going to draw them into having to respond in kind. You know, you say, and a lot of times that comes out through half-truths. That comes out, we'll say, or, uh, you know, a lot of times that comes out with the always and never stuff. You never do this. Well, yeah, sometimes I do, you know, and right away we're in an argument because you said, I never do it. I did it once, you know. And, and so, you know, it's, it's uh, or you always do this just a bad way to talk to each other. It baits people. It draws them in. They have no opportunity. We can learn to speak to each other in ways that don't do that, you know? And so we're not stirring up so much contention around us. What's that little meme that we always see about uh, if a man says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You don't have to hassle him every six months about whether he's going to do it. He says he's going to do it, he's going to get it done. So you don't have to give them an always or a never. It's, it's going to get done. But so the idea here is don't, don't get into things that just stir up contention. Think before we speak because the tongue is so important. James says down in verse 4, he uses this example. I just want to expand on this a little bit from what we talked about. This, during this on Monday, the Lord was just speaking to me some more things about this. James on three, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And he's comparing our heart slash tongue, okay, to the rudder of a ship. And we talked last week about the different things that drive ships. It isn't just the rudder, but the rudder is used in combination with, with the sails, which are catching the wind. And we went through a, a number of things about that last week, but he points to this and he he talks about the tongue in this. And he says, if you will get control of this, this is steering the course of your life. Again, what you're thinking about, what you're storing up and treasuring in your heart, what you are valuing, the things you are listening to and watching and allowing to pour into your heart and then are coming out your mouth. It is steering the course 
of your life. And he said, it may seem the tongue's a really small part of the body, but with it, you can steer the whole course of your life. He says, it's just like a ship. It's this little tiny piece of the ship compared to the power in those sails and everything, but it is constantly used to keep that ship on course. And again, here's the idea of keeping something on course, keeping it going the right direction so that it's not out there just drifting. Sailing ships are not made to just go downwind and drift with the wind. They are made to go from one place to another, and they have the ability to do that. And again, we went through a lot of that last week. So here's what uh, came to me this week that I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk about a little bit. So we talked about sailing ships and how all that works. And the Lord just, at, at, we were out, actually we were out at Fruita riding our bikes on Monday. It was great. They have dirt out there. There's, you look at the ground, it's all brown and there are green plants. I sent Annie a picture of a, a plant. It was very interesting. So anyway, we were kind of, you know how your dog rolls and that's what we were doing. We were rolling in the dirt and the sun. Anyway, so we're going along and the Lord just, I felt this question come up in me. What do sailors do on good days, on peaceful days, on days when there isn't a storm and they're, you know, they aren't being driven by, you know, strong winds and just trying to survive the non-survival days. Okay. I hope you have some days that are non-survival days in your life. And, and the idea was that they work on the rigging, they work on the ship, they work, they don't just lay around on the deck and sunbathe, right? I mean, when people are out there on those ships, when the weather's good, you work on the boat, you know, you work on the rigging, you repair things. And this is one of the things that we learned early on that lots, I think this is a mistake that so many of us have made, that when there's a storm, when there are things happening in life, man, we are in God's face and we are in the word. We're looking for that answer and we're, you know, we're, we're praying seriously, Lord, help, you know, give me the answer here. Give me the wisdom I need. Help me with this situation. Intervene here. We're praying. But on the calm days, we're kind of doing our thing. On the calm days, we should be pressing in when your emotions are not so stirred up. When things are not in turmoil, that's the time to press into the word, to spend time, practice being in his presence, practice hearing his voice when you're not having to fight with the torrent of emotions that go along with the difficult days. On those good yous, we were told, I'll never forget our pastor years ago saying, use the good days well. Just use the good days well. Use them to grow in intimacy with God. Don't waste those times because that's when you can hear. I have people all the time. They come into my office. I'm just not, I'm not hearing from God. Well, it's always, they're not in my office if it's not a crisis, you know? And, and so the idea is, yeah, it's hard to hear when your emotions are all stirred up. It's hard to hear when there are so many things going on and, and the problem looks so complicated and we forget that God's bigger than the problem, that kind of thing. And, and so do that on the good days. We, we tend to reduce the intensity of our pursuit of God when we're not in trouble. And, and it's, a, it's a bad idea. It's something we really should not do. We want to always use those peaceful times to fill yourself up with the word, fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit, okay? 
And then James ends this whole passage, and again, we looked at this last week, by, by telling us that you can't deal with the mouth and the tongue. You can't deal with that without dealing with what's on the inside, with the heart. And he says this down, and I think this is verse 10. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? And of course, the answer is no. Why? Because there's either fresh water in the ground or there's salt water in the ground. It isn't going to be one and then the other and one and then the other. It isn't going to be like that. So, so if we have fresh water and salt water, if we have good, healthy stuff and poisonous stuff coming out of our mouth then there's a reason for that. We're having a mixture in our heart that our heart was never meant to contain. And we need to do something about what's happening on the inside. He says, my brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So the idea is you got to deal with what's down on the inside, right? Are you with me? Okay. So we went to Proverbs chapter four last week. We will get to some new material here in a few minutes, but I have a couple things I need to add to this. We went to Proverbs chapter four and we began in verse 20. I'm just gonna read through this. We're not gonna study it out again, but we went through all of this last week. Again, I would encourage you to get last week's teaching. And it says here, beginning in verse 20, my son, attend to my words. It means pay attention. Consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not Depart from your sight, keep them in the center of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing and health to all their flesh. I just wanted to touch on that this morning. Always remember the word itself contains healing and health. The word itself ingested on the inside of you when you need, and it doesn't have to just be the word about healing either. Every word from God is full of life and every word from God contains the power to reproduce itself. It, and the words, if, if you're sick in your body, yes, you need to be spending a lot of time just going over those scriptures, going over the healing scriptures, going over the scriptures about God's love for you, going over all of those kinds of verses. And this just comes to me right now. So let me say this. I think a lot of people forget, or maybe never knew, that the Bible is different than every other book that you have on the shelf. Those words are full of life. And you can read, or meditate, or pray, or speak the same passages over and over and over at different times of your life, and they will feed you over and over and over. It, we're not just trying to gain, oh, okay, now I see a principle from the scripture. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the way we're trying to approach this. We're not trying to just fill a notebook. We're not trying to pass a test. We are coming to a table and eating. We are coming to a table and feeding on the spirit of God and the Lord himself through his words. So we need to chew those words over and over and over and over again. And remember that we go to the word to be fed, to be strengthened, to receive of his spirit, to have something imparted to us, not just to gain knowledge. And so he's giving us this instruction about, you know, pay close attention to the word, incline your ear, stretch out, come to the word with the heart attitude that I am here to hear it, but as I hear it, I am here to be changed by it 
And I am here to yield my life to it. I am here to consent, to say yes, to acknowledge, God, your truth is the only truth. Your life is higher than my life. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your desires are for my good. And so whatever I hear, I want it. I want to take it and I want to pull it into me and have it displace anything that disagrees with it on the inside. And I want my life conformed to your word. Okay. We come to the word always with that idea. We consent and we submit. And let me say this to you this morning. God has, I'm going to show you a verse on this in just a minute. God has taken the responsibility to get the revelation that you need, the wisdom that you need, the revelation of his word to you. He's taken the responsibility for getting that to you. And I believe getting it to you ahead of time. But he has given us the responsibility to respond to that word. He's given us the responsibility of whether we pay attention to that word, whether we incline the ear to that word. He will always set a great table in your life. But even though you are a child of God, you are not an infant of God. That word, the word, the word and I know we start out when we get born again, we do. We're, we're, we're babies in the Lord. We don't know much about him. But from that point on, we grow in him and we deepen in our relationship with him. And he imparts things to us and he changes things in us and we change. We're not we are not, what were you saying this morning? We are not who we used to be. I am not who I used to be. I love that. There was so much anointing on that this morning. I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not just saying that like, you're exactly who you used to be. So you better say you're not who you, I'm not. I am honestly, I can get so excited about that. I'm honestly, I got a long ways to go. I won't get there before I die. But I am honestly not the person I used to be. And neither are you. I would wager you, neither are you. What was I talking about? So we are not infants of God. That word, when it calls us sons of God, it means adult sons who partner in the business with the father. It, it, there is a level of maturity that we should be growing into. God sets a great table. You know, I don't know how it is at your house. When we were kids, mom just made us eat stuff. You know, you're going to eat it. That's what Karen does. You know, you're, you're going to eat this stuff. It's good for me. Uh, but no, but, but later, if you didn't eat, she didn't cook a second meal, you know, she puts good stuff on the table and we were expected to come and eat it. And we did. There was four boys and one girl. We, we ate, <laughs> but God will set a table for you day in and day out. He will set a table for you here every week. He'll set a table for you in your devotional time. He will set a table for you over and over and over. But you have to come and eat. If you don't, it's not God's fault that you're hungry. It's not God's fault that you get weak and sick. It's not God's fault that you don't know what to do. It's not God's fault. He takes that responsibility, but we have a responsibility to deal with what's coming into our heart, to grab hold of his words and press into him goes on down there in, in um, let me just look at a couple more verses down here. He says in verse 25, Proverbs 4.25, he says, 
let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose. This is the Amplified Bible. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose. Let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet and let all your ways be established and ordered aright. Consider, that word consider, it means to weigh something. So in other words, he's saying, think about the path of your feet. Where are you headed? What are you prioritizing and valuing? What are you taking in? What are you making time for? Are you making time on purpose for that relationship with God? Are you prioritizing that? Because you will give your time to what's most important to you. It means to you know, take time and think about, I think you've got to think about our priorities, our friendships, our activities, things like that. What are we thinking on? What are we giving ourselves to? Think about, consider well the path of your feet because the decisions you're making every day are taking you somewhere. They are taking you somewhere, okay? And then he, and then he says, let all your ways be established, in order to write. That word ways, we see it throughout the scripture. It means our patterns of living. Okay, patterns of living. How do you how do you deal with different things? How do you approach when this happens? What's your response? What do you do? What do you allow yourself to think about? What's the pattern of your life? What do you give yourself to over and over and over? It's the ways are our methods of dealing with any situation, including our heart motivations. And when we ask God about his ways, show me your ways. That's not just showing me your beliefs or your principles, God. It's showing me, how do you handle this, Jesus? How do you, what do you do? What do I see you doing and hear you saying in this real life situation? What's the What's the attitude of your heart toward this situation? Those are his ways and his ways can become our ways. But it says here, let all of our ways be established. Established. In other words, let them be grounded. Let them be founded on God's word and God's nature. Let them be built and attached to something. Not just drifting around with every current of ideas and stuff that people decide they think or believe. I mean, some of the stuff that's going on out there right now is just totally contrary to the way basic biology and life and physics work on the planet. And people are saying they believe it. I kind of doubt it. But, uh, you know, there are lots of goofy ideas going on. Let our ways be established and ordered aright. There should be an order to what we know and what we believe and where we're going. And then he said at the beginning of this, are you still, are you still with me? He said, let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose. Look your gaze, let your gaze be straight before you. And this was another thing that I just felt, again, we were out riding and this has always been such a great uh, picture, you know, riding that bike, especially a mountain bike on, on single track trail. And then the same thing applies with the, with the uh, motorcycle, but it's so important to look where you want to go. And I talked to you about that last week. You, we don't want to look at the obstacle. We want to look at the path through the obstacle or past the obstacle because we are just built this way. We do look where we, we do go where we look. We, we go where we look. So, so we talk about this. We talk about this principle of do not target fixate. Okay, so what that means is if I'm riding down the road and somebody suddenly stops in front of me, 
I need to not stare at the back of that car if I don't want to hit it, even though it's the danger. It's what I don't want to hit. I need to look where I want to go. I've got to drag my eyes off of whatever that is and look where I want to go or I'm going to hit it. And it's been proven over and over and over. So it's something they just teach you and try to ingrain in your thinking. Don't target fixate. And what that means for us is do not, or maybe I should put it in the positive, keep the promise in front of your eyes, not the problem. Listen to what your tongue is saying. If every time somebody asks you how your day is going, the problem comes out, then that's what's before your eyes and you're going to keep running into the problem. But if, if, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be able to tell each other what's going on in our lives and ask for prayer. And I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if that's the first thing that comes to my mind is what's wrong, then I've got my eyes on what's wrong. And instead I need to elevate the promise above the problem every time, every time. I need to understand the promise is more powerful than the problem. That promise existed before my problem ever showed up. The promise existed before Satan showed up. The promise in God's heart is always a higher truth than whatever problem I'm facing. So don't target fixate. Don't look at what's wrong all the time. And, and here, here's what the Lord gave me on this. He, he said, here are the things we need to do. We need to look up. Okay, that's another problem. If you're, if you're riding along on your mountain bike, I know you guys all ride mountain bikes all the time, going down the trail, and it just feels like, and I was doing this on, on Monday because it was the first ride of the year. So once again, after doing this since 1983, uh, once again, I'm out there on the trail and things are coming too fast and I'm having to get off the bike. And because things are, why are things coming too fast? Because I'm looking right here instead of out there, instead of looking farther ahead and having time to anticipate. And as soon as you look up, and again, the same thing happens on the motorcycle. As soon as you look up, everything slows down. Everything slows down. So if it feels like things are just hitting you in life, one after another, after another, after another, you're not looking up. And the Lord, or the, the scripture tells us, over and over and over and over, it says, lift up your eyes. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. He's in charge, okay? The maker of heaven and earth. He's the author. He's the finisher of my faith. Lift up, look up. And that, that phrase, lift up your eyes to the Lord, is used I meant to look it up, but dozens at least times in the scripture. Look up and then look farther. Look farther forward. Again, it means keep your eyes on the promises rather than the problems. We're not denying the existence of the problem. We're not doing that. We're just making the choice to exalt the authority of his promise over the problem. We're exalting truth over fact, okay? So you want to keep your eyes on God. And you want to keep your eyes looking at his promise, looking at his long range purpose for your life, looking at what he's spoken to you, go back through any type of uh, testimonies that you have, words that you've gotten from God. Keep your eyes, look up, look farther. And then the other thing that you always learn is you, have, you can't just glance the direction you want to go. You have to actually turn your head. And actually they teach you to turn your whole upper body but 
if you're going to go around a corner, if you're looking here, but you're glancing over there, you're, you're not going to make it around the corner. You're not going to make a turn that way. You have to actually, they say, point your chin where you want to go. In the motorcycle world, they say, turn your whole body, which gets harder and harder by the years. Uh, but, but when you do, all of a sudden, it just goes. All of a sudden, it's like it won't move, it won't move, and all of a sudden it goes. It's the same thing in life. You can't just glance at what God is saying and fixate on your problems. You have to look at the promises. You have to put them in your heart. You have to let them come out your mouth. You have to make daily choices that line up with your kingdom priorities. I'm just going to show you. I know we're running late. Gee, what a surprise. I'm just going to show you this one last scripture, and we'll take it up next week. I've just been so excited about it for two weeks. I've got to show it to you. I've read this scripture dozens and dozens of times, just saw it for the first time a couple of weeks ago. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. And it, it says this, listen to this, it says, the Lord our God has, has secrets known to no one. In other words, there are things in his heart that we don't know. We are not accountable for those. We're not accountable for what we don't know, what he hasn't shown us. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us. Why? So that we can obey all the terms of these instructions. This comes at a time where, where they had just taken all this time and spoken the blessings and spoken the curses of living with God, of obeying the law. And, he, and the whole point of these chapters is Moses coming along in 28, 29, 30. He's saying, God is making himself clear to you. God is, and this is, again, this is Old Testament. Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross yet. These people didn't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have 50 translations of the Bible or podcasts or any of that stuff. And he was saying, God has made himself clear. And he's saying, yeah, there are things in God's heart that we don't know. If you get caught up in that, well, you know, what about, I mean, some of the, some of the things people allow themselves to fixate on well, what about, you know, was this, was this part of the scripture? I don't understand that. Was this an actual physical year or was it a million years? Well, we don't know. And you may have a very strong opinion about that, but we don't know because God uses those terms different ways. So if you get fixated on something in the scripture that you don't know and don't, did, Moses, did Noah really have all those animals in there? What did they do with the overflow from the animal? How did they? And instead of connecting with Jesus Christ and living your life in his will and his purpose, you get caught up in some, I'm sorry, inane little question from this. If you want to ask God about that stuff, ask God about that stuff, but don't do it at the expense. This is it. Don't do it at the expense of not paying attention to what he is saying to you. Because what he is saying to you is the meal. This is the meal, okay? This is the meal. Eat the meal, all right? Then, after dinner, during dessert, if you want to ask him about Noah and about creation and all that, go for it. I mean, God will show you some really cool stuff. But don't do it at the expense because we are accountable. Other translations say what God has revealed, that belongs to us and to our children so that we can obey him, so that we can walk in his will. That's a powerful verse right there. That's a powerful, powerful verse. So don't get off thinking, oh, God's just withholding what I need. No, he's not. 
No, it's not. In fact, I'm quitting. I promise I'm quitting. If this is just such a good truth. When you run into something in your life, think back. You should have notes on what God's been saying. You should have some testimonies. You should have some stuff. Go back over the last six months or year or 18 months. You will find that God has already given you the solution before the problem came. It's the way he is. I do not believe I totally reject this. Oh, God's just the God of the last minute. No, he's not. He talked about salvation in Genesis. He had it planned before creation. Okay, I got to stop. I could go on. I got to stop. Let's stand up. Let's stand up and pray. Did you get anything out of this? I won't even ask. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I did. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I, I just pray this with all my heart this morning that every one of us would give our whole heart and our whole focus to the things that you are speaking to us. Lord, if we don't know how to hear your voice, I completely trust you. Jesus, you said your sheep hear your voice. And so I know that every person in this room or every person who ever hears this message any other way has the ability, the creational ability within them to know your voice and know your heart. And I pray that you would help us to know and to, to grab hold of, take hold of those things that you are speaking today and you are speaking every day. Father, to record those things, to put them deep in our hearts and to live by them. I thank you so much, Lord, that you have been so faithful to present to us what we need. And we choose today to allow what you give us to go deep into our hearts and to be the established foundation of our lives. We thank you for that. Thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, bringing us that revelation, speaking into our ears, Lord, just directing the course of our life. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Okay. So we're going to say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. And then we're going to be dismissed. And you guys just go out there and be the church. Just hit Gunnison with the church this week. Okay, one, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.